For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. It's time for more pearls of wisdom to consider here in Proverbs chapter 16. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Man Plans, God Directs. We are in the middle of the book, Proverbs chapter 16, and uh, we are going to ask the Lord for his blessing now as we focus our attention on the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we are so enjoying uh, these pearls of, these precious pearls of wisdom that are coming at us each Wednesday night and going down deep by the power of the Holy Spirit into our souls and into our hearts and minds that are producing good and right attitudes and right thinking and right behavior so that we can be wise and be blessed and not be foolish and suffer those consequences. And so thank you, Father, for the wisdom you place before us. Help us to grasp it and to put it into practice. In Christ's name, amen. amen. It's been said, a wise man learns from the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. And a fool learns by nobody's experience. <laughs> So the Bible is hoping that as God's uh, dearly loved children, that you and I would fall into the first category, that we would be wise and that we would learn from the experience of others. And the experience of others is so often displayed here in the book of Proverbs. They come flying at us in brief little sound bites, little one-liners and two-liners that kind of encapsulate uh, the truth of what wise living and speaking and attitudes and thinking looks like and the rewards of living wisely, according to God's word, and, and also... Uh, how fools live and speak and think in their attitudes and the painful consequences. So uh, laying before us this evening some more Proverbs. Let's learn chapter 16, verse 1. To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. So here we go with this. the start of the chapter is going to be a helpful uh, observation about the sovereignty of God. Here's a good definition of the sovereignty of God. Uh, God rules and nothing happens without his direction or permission. And so uh, wise observations that sometimes they don't call us to anything, they're just a wise observation to elicit a wise response and attitude based on the truth that is given. And so here's the truth that says it's God's world. Uh, he's in charge. Uh, he makes stuff happen. That's his wheelhouse. Our wheelhouse is we think a lot, we plan a lot, we, we have intentions, but where the answer, the substance comes from is God. And so that just creates in us an attitude of dependence and so that we are seeking through Christ to be strengthened to do all things. So uh, in short, you can hope and dream and scheme to your heart's uh, delight, but it's really up to God to make it all happen. Verse two, 
All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. This is a five-star proverb for me. Uh, It's an observation, quite probably the most helpful verse for Christian maturity. If you ever hope to be who God has intended you to be, you better know this one uh, for sure. So here's the observation of how distorted and deceptive our own self-perception can be. The only one who can see our true motives is the Lord. The Lord said that he made our hearts and he's the only one who can really understand them. Jeremiah 17.9 says, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? And that heart that's deceitful resides in every single born again Christian's chest. It's still there. And we are, with the Holy Spirit's help, told to reckon that thing down and as crucified and dead. But it's still prompting away. And that's the reason why, you know, he says, don't be snookered, you know, into thinking uh, that you are uh, pure and innocent and right in every conflict that you have. Because, um, you have a vested interest in your own understanding of your contribution to it. So he's saying, look, listen, everybody thinks in, a, in any kind of problem or situation or conflict that you are coming out smelling like a rose and it's all 100% the other person's fault. That's the natural inclination of the human heart. So the next time you have a conflict, you need to prayerfully and scripturally, and leave the door wide open for the Holy Spirit to show you your part in it, or you will never grow. And just know, you are going, amen? Wow, that's a good husband you got there, Karen. (laughs) All right. She didn't say amen to that, but she was busy busy taking notes. I see it happening right in front of me. Oh, I I do have here, don't be deceived by how much you adore yourself. (laughs) The problem, you are more part of the the problem than you care to realize. Next, verse three. (laughs) I hate to be the one to just cause you such pain. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now, wouldn't this be happy? a happy thought if it were just the surface understanding of you just plan away, make your little agenda, say, in Jesus' name, I commit this to you, and bam, God will establish your plans. Guess what? It doesn't mean that, uh, as you well know. Uh, Here's what it means. It means if you want your plans to succeed, make sure you and the plans are fully surrendered to the Lord. That's it. And then he establishes that. Because if your heart and your will is fully committed every day, moment by moment, to do God's will, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that you become a living sacrifice on the altar. You know, it's just not writing your check and put it in the offering. It's putting yourself in the offering, right? If you do that, then you will be more inclined to have plans that God wants to establish because it's his plan. You see, you delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because you're delighting in him and he's changing and working your desires into his plan. Next verse. 
The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. I love this one. Verse 4. The sovereignty of God works even with evil. That he's even in charge of that. God is light, and in him there's no darkness. You can never trace anything bad back to God. But God says, in a bad world, I'll use the bad for my own purposes. So he says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, casting call. I need a bad guy. You want to play a bad guy? And Pharaoh says, I'll take that role. So, so he says, good, because I need a villain in the story. I need a hero. Who wants to be a hero? Aaron. Aaron, I do. My brother's a hero. I want to be a hero. So good. The Lord says, good. Okay, we've got some heroes. We've got a bad guy. You know, so he says in Romans chapter 9, Pharaoh, I raised you up so that I could display my power to the whole world. You see, so even Joseph, all Joseph's troubles with his jealous brothers who wanted him dead and Potiphar's wife who wanted him in other ways. <laughs> Yikes, I slipped into that one. And then, <laughs> and, and, and what does he say at the end of his life? He says, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. This is the, the idea here that Jesus Christ was put to death. Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon. Jesus was put to death by w- the hands of wicked men. And it says here, wicked men put him to death. But by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, even the wickedness of murdering the Son of God, the Father says, I'll use that. God's in charge. You know what my takeaway was? Whoever wins in November, I'm, I'm chilling because God's in charge. God's in charge if, you know, I compared it last week, the two choices of the election. I just said, which would you rather have, a broken ankle or a dislocated shoulder? So I'm trying to, to, to well, somebody asked me, hey, who's the broken ankle? Hello. <laughs> You know what? It doesn't matter. Why? Because the Lord works out everything for his own ends. And Romans 8.28 says it's going to be good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that includes me and you. Amen? I'm moving on. Verse 5. I like these proverbs. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. So the number one sin that the that the Bible rails against always. The king sin is pride. Pride is defined here as one who arrogantly sets himself in direct opposition to God. How smart is that? Not very. You don't get up in God's face. That's what it is. It's, it's, It's this in God's face. And so, you know, one commentator, I've used this before, knowing that the sin of pride is what turned a beautiful angel into the devil should give us all great pause when we're tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So he says, maybe the reason God detests the proud of heart so much is because he loves them so very much and he hates that pride is going to ruin everything. It's going to ruin their marriage. It's going to ruin their employment. It's going to ruin them in church. It's going to ruin them spiritually. 
It's going to wreck their relationships. And so, you know, you just can't win. The only thing it will guarantee you pride is to bring some form of punishment, as your verse says there. And be sure of this is a uh, Hebrew idiom that says, hand, literally, hand to hand. It means you can shake on this. You can confirm this one thing for sure. If you have pride, God will oppose you. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. I like this one too because it's a healthy, beautiful balance of theology. Now see, first it says, you know, the, the, it answers the question, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Because we're saved by grace and our sins are covered, should we go on sinning? Paul says, God forbid, right? Here, God, through his love, and that word is hesed, his merciful love and faithfulness, he covers our sins. And that could be seen through Leviticus chapter uh, 16 with Yom Kippur. The word to cover here is atonement, is um, kippur in the Hebrew. Yom, day, kippur, to cover, day of covering of the sins. And that's the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar. It's coming up in October uh, the 11th and 12th. And so through Leviticus, you get the fear of the Lord because the way that they were atoned for was a slaughter, a bloody mess. They brought the lamb. They had to lay their hands on the lamb, right? And they had to confess their sins onto the bleeding lamb, a bleating lamb. And, and the priest right there, right there, slit the animal's throat and the blood right there with your hands on there. So you got the picture. And so, yeah, through God's faithfulness, even foreshadowed in the Old Testament, that there was a way to have your sins covered. But the fear of the Lord, that the cost of that atonement was that a death on your behalf and a bloody mess in your hands are blood. It's just terrible, a slaughter. And so from that fear of the gravity of the situation and the price that was paid so that your sins could be covered, you now avoid evil. You don't leave the tent after a scene like that and say, hey, my sins are covered, let's go party. That's evidence that the heart didn't connect. Moving on. Verse 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace uh, with him. Now, this is a good one here. Verse 7. Verse 7, there we go. I lost my place there. Um, it's a general principle. Um, the Proverbs are not a universal formula. So a, a lifestyle that pleases God, and here's the point, generally speaking, will disarm social hostility. Listen, uh, yeah, with notable uh, exceptions, right? Because First John chapter 3 and verse 13 says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. When you're evangelizing, you're shining light on people who have been accustomed to darkness. That's irritating. You know, we're salt and we, we're, you know, that can be irritating as well. So uh, we're not talking about that. Here's what he's saying. When you live in, right with God, you're loving your enemies. That, loving your enemies comes out of the Old Testament, not the New. 
You're supposed to love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, pray for them, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. These are ways that disarm hostility. And so if you're living right and wisely, even your enemies have a hard time messing with you because it's hard to mess with somebody who's overflowing with kindness and graciousness and forgiveness. Amen? All right, let's move on. Verse 8. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. So this is a, a common refrain in the Proverbs. Modest means modest income, a few um, possessions. When you're right with God and you know the Lord is way, way better than wealth with dishonesty. Uh, Matthew 16 and 24, Jesus asks the question, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Okay, the whole world, he owns the world. And some of these guys are getting ready to do that. I mean, I look at the net worth of some of these people, and I don't know uh, how you can have $30 billion, but some of them do. Can $30 billion ransom your soul from hell? It can't. It can't deliver from death. Can it cleanse your conscience? Can it put your sins in the sea of forgetfulness? Can it raise you up from the grave? Can it restore this body once it's died and buried into a body that looks like the glorious son of God's body? Philippians chapter 3 says we get a body like his glorious body. $30 billion can't do that. That's all he's saying. So you may just make minimum wage, but you have got spiritual wealth. Be happy, be content. Verse 9. It is hard. A man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So this is a big bell ringer for somebody in the audience. It's my wife's, one of her life verses. And it changed her life. And I'll tell you the story. Um, The point is stay flexible, people of God, because um, you don't know what your future holds, but God does. Now, uh, I'll ask you a question. Anybody in here, show of hands, you thought your life was going to go in one direction, but it took a different turn than you had planned. Okay, so here's what he's saying here. He's saying, when you get overly grasping on the reins, you know, and you want to control, you get into a fight with the Lord. So, and then you get sad and disappointed and you get bitter and all of this because you were sure this was going to happen. And you even had scriptures, right? All right? And so you can't use scriptures against God who's trying to pull you right and you're using scriptures for him to pull you left, you know? So I, I mean, here's what he's saying. He's, he's saying be flexible, Be open, do your due diligence, but let God uh, work. Now, Barb, 30 years ago, sold all her possessions. She had her own business. Uh, She had a house in Idaho. She had all her furniture. And she she decided, I'm going to Bible college. And she went to Bible college. She wanted to be a missionary. She sold everything, moved to Santa Rosa to wait for going down to Los Angeles to a port to get on a YWAM vessel called the Anastasis to be a missionary to um, disaster zones in the world. So she's all set to go. 
All that was she, she was waiting for was the boat, the boat fell into disrepair. They sent her a letter that said, and she's sleeping on her sister's couch in Santa Rosa, just visiting, waiting for the ship. That's all she's doing. Doesn't, doesn't even live in Santa Rosa. Well, I <laughs> happened to speak at the church where she just happened to be temporarily uh, spending some time hanging out for this ship, waiting for them to send the letter saying, okay, we repaired the ship. You can come down and be on the YWAM ship and, uh, and all of that. She's already raised her support. She's ready to go. And so I spoke at their church. I'm going to Thailand as a missionary. I go to the, I, right? So I spoke morning and evening in Santa Rosa at a church that's no longer here. And so the pastor, unbeknownst to everybody there, said, hey, if you don't end up going to Thailand, how, how sure are you with this Thailand thing? I said, dude, I've got my prayer cards. I'm going to Thailand. You know, I, I, I've been trained. I'm going to Thailand. I've raised half my support. And he just looked at me like, hmm. <laughs> and he said, I'd give you a job in a heartbeat. I'd give you, I'd employ you in a heartbeat. I'm like, okay, whatever, bye, you know? <laughs> And so every day, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, in my heart, it's just Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa. I called Springfield, and I said, I can't go to Thailand. I don't know what's happening. God's changing my direction. I, maybe I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, goodbye. And, and I gave up the program. I called the pastor, and I said, can I come up there? Is that offer good? He says, come on up. So I get introduced on the platform the Sunday that Barb is singing a solo, and we're on the same platform, right? And so now, uh, you know, what's happening here? Well, of course, she tried to avoid me, right? <laughs> she had heard that I was looking for a, a, a blonde, pretty blonde girl to sing after I preached a sermon. So that got out there, and she's like, uh-oh. <laughs> You know, she can sing, and she's pretty, and she's got blonde hair. She, check, 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 right? And so, yeah, and I had hair, too. <laughs> it, it wasn't blonde. What verse are we on? Uh-oh. <laughs> we can stop halfway. I mean, that's okay. So what, what happened, ended up happening, is, is that I bumped into her in the lobby one day, and it was like, oh, I knocked her Bible out of her hand. I picked it up and put it back in her, and I just went, whoa. Note to self, she's pretty, <laughs> yeah, you know. And then I started pursuing her, and that's a long, funny story, but we don't have time for that. But here, uh, like, <laughs> okay, I, I am going to tell you one funny part of it. <laughs> what the funniest part of it all is when I first spoke that Sunday, her sister elbowed her and said, he's perfect for the family. Oh, can, can, can I have permission to pray? And Barb says, he's from, he lives in Santa Cruz. He's going to Thailand. I'm going to YWAM. Yeah, go ahead and pray. So the sister goes home and tells all the other Christian sisters, uh, I found Barb's, uh, God's will for Barb's life. I will need you to pray. So they're all praying up a storm. None of them know the pastors already put the seed in my head. Hey, I'd hire you. They don't know anything, right? So Barb's relieved. There he goes. He's gone. I don't have anything to worry about. And then a month later, I'm being introduced on the platform while she's singing a song. And she's like, she's telling the sister, you'll never believe who the church hired. And she goes, Ross the missionary. And she says, how would you know that? Well, how else are you two going to meet and marry and fall in love? 
right? So poor Barb, she's like, every time she saw me, it's like running the other way, you know? And, uh, but I found her. So on the third date, she's telling me this whole story. She waited until I was really pursuing her, and she told me the whole story. Listen, I have to fess up to you. You know, my sister did this, you were here, and then I was on the platform, and I was singing, and you know what? And then I said, you know what? Let's not frustrate God's will. (laughs) Let us get married. So she went before God and said, I'm supposed to go to YWAM. She got a letter that said, the ship's fixed right when I'm asking her to marry me. The ship's ready to go. And she's like, and then she said to me, the ship came in. I said, honey, your ship came in in another way. (laughs) I did. I promise you that is the truth. That's exactly what happened. So she said, she said, she came to me and she said, the Lord has comforted my heart and spoke to me. And, she ga- and he gave her this verse. And then we got married. Yeah, three months later. Okay. Now let's skip to verse 30. <laughs> Whoa, verse 9. That means 10. I'm going to be really quick now. Yeah, so, you know, verse 10. The the lips of a king (laughs) speak as an oracle, and his mouth should not betray justice. King uh, Solomon is speaking to heirs to the throne, and so he's showing them what is good for kings. And here's an observation that what a travesty, from God's point of view, the lips of the king speak as an oracle. Oracle means as a mouthpiece of God. So when God puts somebody in charge of a nation, he expects them to be doing his will, especially Israel, of course. It's a theocracy. And so the king is speaking God's words. If the king is corrupt or speaking the wrong thing, it's just a travesty. And, and I think the carry, it carries over to leaders. Leaders are expected to be uh, good representations of God. Verse 11, honest scales again. We've heard of these before. Honest balances are from the Lord. All the weights in in the bag are of his making. So speaking of justice and kings and administrating, God is the source of of honesty. And uh, with him, he wants what's right and just. So you'll recall in ancient times that there were scales and how people did business and commerce where if you wanted two pounds of wheat, Uh, they'd have little um, weights. But crooks and scammers would have light weights and heavy weights and scales that didn't work, right? And so uh, what he's saying here is with God, if you want to please him, uh, you need to walk with honesty. No shortcuts, Christians. No rolling back your odometer, Christians. No no playing games with taxes. None of this shortcut stuff. With God, you got one choice. In his bag, everything measures up as right and true. And if you're going to represent him, Christian, everything in your bag has to be right and true. Amen? Verse 12. Kings detest wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. So he's saying Rehoboam, Rehoboam, his son, Solomon's son. Listen, 
a true king, from God's perspective, hates wrongdoing. And let me tell you why, son, you should hate wrongdoing. is because, really, um, the goodness of the administration determines the stability of the government. That's why you hate it when people do the wrong thing, is because it will undermine and unravel. So for a leader, um, a president, a king, you wouldn't be involved in wrongdoing, or you wouldn't applaud or approve divisive and rebellious wrongdoing behavior, because that would unravel the nation. Too late. Verse 13. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. Everybody wants to consider themselves as a valuable person. And so he's saying, especially to kings, but not just kings, uh, men and women who tell the truth, they're a rare find. And so if you want to be a blessing to your employer, to a pastor, to a judge, to a teacher, to a parent, or in your relationship, be a person who tells the truth. Verse 14. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. I like this one. Now, it's a no-brainer, but it's interesting to me that God has to remind us of this simple truth. Do not tick off someone who has authority over you. Do not do it. If they are bigger and stronger and can do you bodily harm, don't get up in their face. Right? So if by whatever situation, whether you caused it or you're a victim of being on the other side of an authority person who could do you harm, appease him. What is so hard about that with us? We, instead of appeasing it, we ignore it, skirt around it, let it go on and on and on, or, or we fight fire with fire. Uh, That's just not what he's saying. He's saying, make haste to pacify somebody who can do you harm. Whether it's rational or irrational anger, learn the wisdom of disarming anger, uh, not inflaming it. Verse 15. Now, uh, I'm contrasting that. When a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like the rain cloud in spring. Have wisdom for those, and and we do have authority figures. It's not just the king, right? Uh, We have teachers, we have professors, we have coaches, we have um, uh, all kinds of people in our lives, employers and all of this. So here, a little rhyme. When the king sees red, someone's dead. Uh, But if he smiles, you might be around a while. Sorry. I had to add the S to go in the... So, so do the hard work. Listen, the truth, being truthful is hard. Hardworking is hard. Responsible, uh, being dependable. Use that as an investment to those who can do good to you. Listen, he's saying, when you're doing the hard work for that position, it will just come back to bless you. The rains are going to water your crops, which will provide for you. You see, so you're actually not just slaving away, trying to make like the, the, that person happy. I, I often tell the spouses, invest the hard work of being an other-centered spouse. That's hard work to always be about making them happy, meeting their needs 24-7. But if you do it, 
It's an investment in your own. The spring showers will come and it will rain blessings on you as you do the hard work of investing that way. Amen? 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold to choose understanding than silver? So uh, in short, a whole bunch of money uh, is not as valuable as a whole bunch of smart. All right? And so because a whole bunch of smart uh, delivers you from death and puts you right with God. So adjust your priorities. Uh, Verse 17. The highway of the upright avoids evil. He who guards his way guards his life. This is an easy one, a one-liner. Living right with God is a safeguard against calamity. Jesus said, avoid the mighty great crash of a house, of a fool who knows and hears but doesn't put it into practice. Verse 18, famous one. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Here's a Bible verse that went viral in the secular world. It's in the dictionary of common English sayings. Pride goes before a fall. They just sort of condensed it and out came uh, that line. Everybody knows it. Everybody quotes it. But most of us still do it. We get all puffed up, full of ego and self and arrogance, and only to find ourselves sprawled in the mud face down. Now, this is spiritual law. It will always happen 100% of the time, 24-7. God opposes the proud. He opposes. I just never want to hear that I'm I'm opposing God and God's opposing me. But when we're proud and full of ourselves, he stands against that. So be careful. Verse 19, better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. This is an easy one, really. He's saying, you know what, son? I'd rather keep my integrity and suffer a little and go without than to trade my integrity for a better, easier life. Verse 20. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Another simple one. The secret of a happy life has two components. Very simple. One, be teachable. Two, trust in the Lord. Whoever does these two things will have a better life than the person who does not. Verse 21. The wise in heart are called discerning, and pleasant words promote instruction. So believers who walk with God, they're supposed to be speaking well. They gain a good reputation uh, to have competence, and they'll be given opportunities to influence others. And so pleasant, gracious, literally sweet words that we speak as believers in the Lord promote instruction. What does that mean? It means it makes people want to listen to us, uh, and to be instructed by you and me as they hear our sweet, gracious uh, speaking. So in other words, you want to be useful to God? Then be discerning and use gracious words. It'll open doors for you to be a blessing and to be used by God. Verse 22 says, understanding is a fountain of life to those who have it, but folly brings punishment to fools. So Uh, The believer who knows the Lord is walking right with him. Uh, 
has access to a veritable fountain of blessings that continually, when you have the understanding, the understanding there means you know who God is, you know God personally, you know where you're going, you know what not to do. With that understanding comes layers and layers of blessing. And those who reject the Lord and don't have that understanding, all they can hope for is trouble. So really, don't stray from the fountain. And the fountain is the knowledge of the gospel and Christ Jesus our Lord. And don't clog it up. And don't dirty the, the fountain water. Verse 23, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. So here's how to tell a, a wise person from a fool. It's you listen to what comes out of their mouth. So one who is wise will say intelligent, helpful things that enhance others' learning. So now the heart will guide the mouth if the heart is properly cared for. So that's the point of Philippians chapter 4 last Sunday where he says, corral those thoughts because from right thinking comes right behavior. So he says, for whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy, excellent, think on those things. Have a filter, right? Because then your heart, filled with scripture and goodness, can guide your mouth. But without a filter, without your effort, without your cooperation, without feeding the word of God, listening to sermons, being under the word, uh, your mouth will not be able to do that. Verse 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So once again, the potential that we have to use our words to do such good or terrible In this case, he's saying we can bring joy and healing. Pleasant words there. Pleasant words really are words that are comforting, insightful, helpful, encouraging. And also correct or a rebuke is also called pleasant in the scriptures. Because what? A rebuke will save you from a terrible uh, misfortune. And so uh, it's not just you're telling people sweet Uh, words all the time. You're telling them what they need to hear and speaking the truth in love. And so he's saying to the soul that tastes those gracious words, it's like honeycomb. It's just to, to have somebody speak into your life grace and affirmation and encouragement. The soul just kind of, you know, honeycomb in Israel, you at, at the breakfast buffet, you always have this straight up honeycomb, and it's just so delectable. I mean, I could just eat that whole thing. But you know what? It does say in the Proverbs, if you do find honey, just eat enough of it, because too much of it, and you'll get nauseous, you know? And so uh, he's saying, when, when you offer gracious, kind word to somebody. It's, it's that kind of sweetness to their soul. Thank you uh, for that. Um, remember the image here is Jonathan in the woods. They're on a fast and uh, the, all the guys are, are weak and listless and he dips the end of his staff into some honeycomb and he puts it to his lips and his eyes brighten up. That's the understanding behind here, that you have the power to light a soul tonight. 
if you're thinking about it, who I'm going to get some of that honey and I'm going to feed it to somebody and the lights are going to come on inside the hole. Doesn't that make you just want to do it? You just start thinking, oh, I can do that. What am I thinking about? Instead of just thinking about ourselves tonight, you miss the opportunity to light somebody's face up. And God takes note of that. So which is it? Are you going to be hurtful or are you going to be helpful in healing? Healing the bones. You know, a lot of people are hurt in here from childhood, from alcoholic parents or drug abusers or a bully on the playground who crushed their bones. And their bones are still hurting, still. But you, the hero, filled with honeycomb and soothing oils from heaven and you, you have the ability to heal that in them. Take your opportunity, man. Be intentional about coming to church. Come loaded. <laughs> no. <laughs> you guys know what I meant. This road, troublemakers. All right, verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You may be saying, didn't we do this one? Yeah. And you know, my professors used to say, God never stutters, right? So if he repeats himself, it's important. And why is this one repeated? Because their, their conduct that looks and feels right may end in disaster. So you have to take your cues from the word of God, not your gut. Oh, Christian, please don't ever say that to me. I'll get angry. I'll get, I'll get irritated. Don't say this. I just go with my gut. Oh, you don't want to go with your gut? Your gut, you know, what is your gut anyway? You're, you're going to go with this? The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it and beyond cure? Do not do anything according to your gut. Do things according to the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and godly counsel, amen? amen? Who wakes up one day, uh, they plan to, to have a disaster, right? No, they think they're on the right road. Who wakes up and says, this morning I want to end up in hell? Nobody, nobody, but they end up there thinking they're on the right road. So be careful. Are you on the right road tonight? 26. The laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. I really like this one. Felt need is not necessarily a bad thing. It motivates us. So here's what the scripture is saying. Nobody likes to feel hungry. Nobody wants to feel anxious or guilty or lonely. And sometimes you're tempted to just try to stop it from happening. Oh, oh, oh no. You know, they're feeling empty or you're feeling lonely. And you, oh, no, it's terrible, right? No, 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 no. The Bible says God uses felt need, need that you can feel to draw you to where you should be, right? So the guy is hungry. And he's got a hungry kid. Listen, he's not going to sit on the couch all day and play video games. He's not. Or he's a bad dad. Right? He's going, if he's hungry and wants to have dinner, and he wants to have a roof over their heads or his head, right? And he wants some hot 
water to take a shower with, and he wants to wear some clothes in public, right? And he has to go out and buy those clothes. He's going to, by the need, the felt need, do the right thing. And by felt need, you will be drawn to God. The, the need to get rid of your sins and your guilt and your fears, you know? You can't just, just uh, make that go away for somebody. That's a blessed need. And so this is what it's just saying. Blessed are those who hunger. Look at this, Jesus said. Oh, it's, it's a good thing to be hungry and thirsty because that is going to drive you to a place where God can fulfill you and stuff you full to overflowing. And that's really the idea here is blessed are you human need. Yeah, listen, somebody, and I've said this many times, has said uh, to me, you're a Christian because you're afraid of going to hell. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you're right. Thank you, Marianne, for stealing my thunder. I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you afterwards. (laughs) At prayer at the cross. All right, so, yeah, uh, need is, need's okay, need's okay, okay, don't, don't keep saying, oh, this is such a bad thing for little Johnny to be in pain because he's feeling the need to do something different because he's connecting the pain with the bad thing. So let the, let the thing work its way out because he's going to come to a good place, amen? Okay. Next verse, 27. A scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. Verse 27, an apt description of a wicked person and the destruction that lies in their wake. So lots of um, arguing of what the Hebrew really means here. And so scoundrel really means son of Belial. It's a nickname for Satan. It means worthless. And Paul the Apostle used it. He said, hey, don't yoke up with unbelievers. I mean, what does, what does Christ and Belial have to do with each other? It really is code for the devil, right? And so here, here's what he's saying. First of all, who we're talking about? A scoundrel. So we're talking about a bad guy or gal, all right? Unbeliever, they despise God. They're bent on doing evil, and, and, and they're worthless. They're worthless to God. They're worth, worthless. Can you imagine being described as a worthless person? Um, what they do, two things, they plot evil, and, and the word there is to dig up. They're, they work at it to cause trouble. And then they use uh, incendiary words. They, they use their lips to, to start fires. Right, So they're like little flamethrowers, right? And so they set fires with their mouth talking about people and causing problems. And so God knows how to put the fires out that these people cause. Uh, and he is our refuge when our house is on fire because of somebody's mouth. And um, not to worry, he will deal with them. So uh, the takeaway for me is, are you a Christian who soothes uh, with sweetness and puts out flames, or are you more like a worthless person who likes to set fires with your angry, loose tongue? Uh, verse 28, a perverse man stirs up dissension along the lines here again, and a gossip separates close friends. Just terrible, terrible. Gossip is a terrible sin 
And it is a terrible problem for hundreds of years with the people of God. It's a scourge. It's a plague. It is in every church. There's always too much of this. Somebody gets their feelings hurt, or somebody gets their toes stepped on, or somebody doesn't look at them right, or somebody doesn't get invited to the party. And then it starts. And, and, and it's little flames and sparks. And what happens is that the perverse person, perverse, that's, that's a scary term, is the person who's stirring up dissension. So you take your offense to a person in, let's just do it with the congregation, and, and here's your offense about a third party. Now what has happened is that, that person has taken on the offense and you cause dissension. Now they no longer have a, that person who you dumped on your offense, your negativity, your too much TMI has spun them and created the dissension instead of unifying, there's now a wall between that person and your victim, who you supposedly are just sharing because you're so concerned or whatever, right? And so the, it happens with negative storytelling, uh, TMI, uh, sharing your offense, uh, all of this, and, and it's just really too, uh, which is really what you wanted to happen is the dissension, right? Because number, there are two reasons, we're insecure, and we want to look better, so we tear that person down, or we angry and we want to hurt that person. So broken and immature and carnally minded unbelievers and believers alike uh, do this. Philippians chapter four, lucky and success. That's what the two gals, their names mean. They were recruiting supporters. They were doing this kind of things. And here, here are two former leaders in the church who are called, they're doing something perverse. That's what perverted people do. They can't understand that God wants peace and unity for his people. Instead, they're busy just talking away talking away, building bread. And so the, the gossip, the word gossip there means whisperer. So in other words, you're saying something to a person about somebody that you couldn't say in front of other people or in front of that person themselves. That's why you have to talk like this. Did you hear what happened in John? Okay, that's what, that's what it is. And what is the outcome of you sharing your concerns and all of this and all of that? is that they used to be able to be friends and they once were friends, but now because of your words, you have ruined their relationship and you've caused the problem and now there's an offense and a wall and coldness in that whole region. And now, in turn, that person who you spun, they have friends and they're going to come and they're going to hear about it because that's how people are. And so it's a terrible thing. Church of God, let us stop talking about each other in negative ways and being so petty. The Lord of glory is, is at the door. He's turning the doorknob for crying out loud. He's about to bust open. You're about to all hear a trumpet sound. And we who are alive and remain shall be cut up to be with the Lord. This is going to happen any second. And should we be walking around just taking offense at every little thing and making sure that everybody's recruited to our side about the big bad person who steps on your toes? Come on. 
it is time to lay it down. Amen? Amen. All right. Maybe I spent too much time on that one. (laughs) Moving on, 29. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him down a path that is not good. Violent, here's, this is easy. Violent people influence others toward violence. This is a nice template. And here's the truth. Fill in the blank. Gossips will uh, influence others to gossip. Liars will influence others to lie. Sexually immoral people will influence others to be sexually immoral. Holy people will influence others to be holy. Self-controlled people will influence others to be self-controlled. People who just love God will influence others to love God. So which is it for you? Which path are you following? Because people are following, and you're playing a song. Are you leading them down the right path or a bad habit path? That's the takeaway there. 30. He who winks with his eye is plotting perversity. He who purses his lips is bent on evil. So he's saying, son, watch out, because some people who have bad character, you don't always see it at surface levels. And so watch out for the kind of guy who's at the table, and he's one of the guys, but he's always kind of got... You know, he's always got that thing, you know, with the winking thing and the nudging here and the little toe tap in here. The pursing of the lips means kind of like a whist, uh, a whistle to get, you know, hey, psst, listen here, right here, right. So here's here, here's what he's saying. Um, not every bad influence is easy to spot. So if somebody's always kind of trying to. Uh, cause trouble and he's always trying to, to recruit you kind of quietly and just kind of say, you know, always has the, always up to something uh, mischievous. Uh, avoid people who are not above board. It's always got something going on. All right, verse 31. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained by a righteous life. Now, yeah, all, all of you who need to say amen, go ahead. Amen. <laughs> Now, obviously, it does not mean that a righteous life causes gray hair. (laughs) Obviously. Because you can be some really vulgar, mean-spirited, gray-headed people out there. Amen? So what does this really mean? It is a call to respect your elders. First of all, God is Huge, very important to respect elders. This like commandments. Here's a command. Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere, uh, and revere them. I am your God. I am the Lord. Whoa. That's in the law, in Leviticus. Stand in their presence. I was at Starbucks, a couple of younger guys, an older woman, came by and was talking to us. I stood up, right? I just, it's, just stand up. Here's an older woman. And the other two guys didn't, right? And um, afterwards, I, I said, she went away, and I said, you guys should have stood there. And both of them, at the same time, said, yeah, you're right, yeah. So it's important 
It's important, right? So what, what's going on here with the gray hair? The gray hair. In Proverbs, he's speaking in-house to Christians, to believers, okay? And so everybody is assumed to be, when he's talking about a gray head, he's talking about a Christian believing, God-fearing, wise, gray-headed person. And the only reason they got to have gray hair is that they've walked a long time with the Lord, and they've gone through the battles with the devil, and they've picked up their cross, and they've followed, and they've been wounded, and they've gone up and down, and they're a veritable encyclopedia storehouse of wisdom and value. And so he wants his son to remember, surround yourself with some silver-headed people, because there's a lot uh, to be, there's a lot to value there. Verse 32, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. Because if you can't control yourself, you're, you're dead before you get out of bed. You're, you're, you're just, if you can't control your own passions, man. He says, listen, son, you want to know what true manliness is? It's not the Rambo guy who takes the entire city. He's, that's what he's saying. He's saying a guy who is long-fused, a guy who controls his own passions, who his own emotions, his own passions are in check. That's the man, not the warrior guy so much. It's good to be the warrior guy. We need the warrior guys. But he's saying, idolize the guy who spiritually is in check because that's the guy that's got the power. And which is easier? To go in and take a city, it's easier to take a city than to control your own passions and your thoughts and to be patient and not be such a hothead all the time. Uh, Listen, great strength and valiant people are found in fighting uh, to control yourself. Long-fused, patient, self-controlled people can tell Mrs. Potiphar who catches you in her clutches. How could you ask me to do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? You see, that's a strong man. A strong man could have looked at Bathsheba and looked the other way and went and got out his harp and played a worship song. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's better to be able to, to be a guy like or a gal like that who, who, who if, you, if, if you ask Peter... Aren't you with that guy who we're about to crucify? You'd be able to say, instead of giving way to your fear, you'd be the conqueror who could stand there and say, yes, I am. I am one of the disciples. You see, when you're insulted in your lowest state and you're hanging from a cross and they're insulting and mocking you, hey, you saved others. Mr. Savior of the world, why don't you come on down? You can save us. You can't save yourself. He answers not a word because he has strength. He's a warrior in his soul. Be like that. That's what he's saying. Be in charge of your tyrannical passions and temptations and thoughts. That's the kind of person who is a hero 
and who will do great and mighty things. You will be a force to truly uh, be reckoned with. Amen. Amen. Then we got one last proverb, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Well, the chapter ends as it begins with the sovereignty of God. This is an interesting one because back in the Old Testament, God made it kind of easy to hear from him in some ways. Now, um, most of you know back in, in those days, the high priest, the lot was a way to find the will of the Lord for the Jewish people, and it was supported in the scripture. And let me show you a picture. Now, the high priest, in, in so many ways, every way that you see enumerated there on the high priest there, it, it speaks of Jesus in so many beautiful ways. But here, here's what I want you to see, that inside behind the breastplate, right, there was a pouch so you could go prayerfully to the priest with a yes or no question. And he had something called Urim and a Thummim. And there was a black stone and a white stone. Commentators say it was like a, the lot, right? And so it was in the pouch. And so he'd reach in prayerfully. Should we go to war? David went and said in, in 1 Samuel 23, you see David going and saying, shall we go to, up against the Philistines? And he reached in, prayed, and there'd be maybe some fumbling. And so the, the point is, even in the fumbling of, whoa, every decision that would come out was God's sovereign, yes or no. Is this woman guilty or, or, or not? Is this man? Is this the clan that we're looking for the bad guy? They would do that, and in he reaches, and it didn't matter if it stumbled or whatever. Here's what the hand with the... He'd pull out the yes and no. And it didn't matter if he dropped it and he had to go back in because it was every single time was 100% perfect because God made it that way. They didn't have the Old Testament finished. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They didn't have the Holy Spirit the way we have the Holy Spirit, right? And so God just made it kind of easy for them. And now under the new covenant with the Holy Spirit in the pouch. Now through the Holy Spirit and the word of God that's hidden in our hearts, we reach in as spiritual priests. We're called a kingdom of priests. Now that was a picture of us reaching in, bringing out the wisdom and the will of God because we know it. We have it in the word of God, the presence of God in the Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in our hearts. You can put the, the last verse up there. And so that's what I love, but every decision is from the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, we don't need to be playing those kinds of games. Now, they did in Acts chapter 1, didn't they? They cast lots to see who, which guy at the table should take Judas' place. And a lot of scholars say that was a mistake because you never hear the guy mentioned again, ever. Where is he? Right? But you do hear the Apostle Paul's name. So a lot of scholars say it should have been the Apostle Paul, and it is the Apostle Paul, and that we'll find out whose name is written on that 12th pillar of the new city. And most commentators say, well, that's a no-brainer. Starts with the letter P. 
Paul. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We look to you now. That's just a lot that just flew by us and in us, hopefully, and we pray that you'd sort it all out and help us to recall it in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.